It's good to be together as the people of God, the dwelling place of the Lord. And uh, so let's uh, give our hearts, our minds, and our ears to the word of the Lord. Uh, And so to that end, if you would, please, let's uh, open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. Uh, And uh, this morning's message is going to come to us from Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12, through chapter 24, verse 2. So 2312 to 24:2. I'll begin reading in verse 12 of chapter 23. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of God. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, my son. If your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would impart unto us wisdom. For we are lost in the foolishness of sin and our eyes are frequently dimmed by our idolatrous desires. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us clarity of sight. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant unto us greater faith in Christ, a greater desire to be molded and conformed unto his image, and in so doing that you would bring uh, glory to your name. 
We pray that you would do so not only through the reading, but also through the preaching of your word. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. John Adams, founding father and the second president of the United States, once observed that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, Adams knew that you can write your Constitution, you can write the laws of a nation, but these written laws, these written documents would ultimately be ineffective and to no point if the citizens of a nation were immoral. It's a common sense observation. Essentially, you need moral people to have a moral nation. And if you don't have a moral people, then your nation will suffer. This type of observation, I think, antedates John Adams long before John Adams ever walked the earth. And we can say that it goes back to this Egyptian sage, Amenemope, that Solomon has drawn his 30 sayings from. But as we noted last week, remember, first and foremost, all truth belongs to God. And then second, Solomon makes important corrections by refusing to include any references to any type of Egyptian deity. But with this second group of sayings, I think that we can add that Amenemope here is ultimately making observations about the importance that young men in specific are supposed to be moral for the betterment of their community, for the betterment of their nation. You need people of a strong moral character to preserve a nation. In this case, he's saying to the young men of Egypt, you need to be moral, you need to be upright in order to strengthen the people of Egypt. Well, Solomon takes these wise sayings of this Egyptian sage, and as I said last week, he carefully extracts them from their barren soil, and he transplants them into the fertile soil of the gospel. And so what's important for us to note here is that there's a sense in which we can say that, yes, Solomon agrees with this Egyptian sage when he says that young people of a nation need to be moral. However, Solomon does not merely have morality in mind. Remember, Solomon is the king of Israel, and he lives in the light of the promises of the gospel of Christ. And so this means that in the end, unlike this Egyptian sage, Solomon has nothing less than conformity unto the holiness and righteousness of Christ as the goal uh, for the character of Israel's youth. Indeed, for the character of God's people throughout every age. And so what we want to do first is we want to see what Solomon has to say here about the nature of our hearts. Where uh, where do our hearts need to be aimed? What type of hearts do we need to have in order to be not merely moral, but ultimately godly? And then secondly, we want to ask the question, what types of habits does Solomon commend to us as habits that will be conducive to having a godly heart. So heart and habits. 
So here let's give first uh, thought to what Solomon has to say about the importance of a heart. I think we could say that the, the, the most important point in the moral character of a person is that a person will be moral if he has his heart in the right place. Jesus, remember, has told us this much in Matthew twelve thirty four: for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so this Egyptian sage makes a number of statements about the importance of the heart, and Solomon pulls them into the book of Proverbs. Notice verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Notice verses 15 and following. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being, which is another way of referring to the heart, the very core of one's existence. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So notice here, Solomon injects the truth that known only to Israel, known only through the scriptures, which is our hearts need to be aimed towards the Lord. Proverbs 23, verse 19, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Verse 26, My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. Solomon is quoting this Egyptian sage who highlights the importance of the heart no less than six different times. If the fountain is corrupt, then everything that comes out of the fountain will also be corrupt. But from the vantage point of the gospel, it's important that we note a very, very uh, significant difference here. Because when the, the Egyptian sage talks about the importance of the heart, all he has in view is what theologians would call civic righteousness. Civic righteousness in other words, that a, a people or a nation would conduct itself morally. They would be moral, but not necessarily godly. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church back in the early 20th century in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, he, he asked the question to his congregation, what do you think the city of Philadelphia would look like if Satan were to be in control of it? What would the city look like if Satan were to be in control of it? And he said, interestingly enough, he said, this is what I think things would look like. He said the bars would be closed. He said that pornography would be eliminated. He said that the streets would be tidy. He said that people would not swear or curse. He said that children would respond, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am. And that the churches would be full every Sunday. But Christ would not be preached. Christ would not be preached. In other words, just because you might find morality does not mean that you find Christ. And so this is the, the aspect that Solomon adds to these observations. The farthest that this Egyptian sage can get us is a civic righteousness. 
not to the righteousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Solomon says to his sons, direct your heart in the way, what way does he speak of? Well, it would go all the way back to to Proverbs 1-7, the very beginning of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And notice he essentially reiterates this in verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Fear of the Lord looks to the gospel promises in Christ as the only source for hope uh, 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 as the only source of hope for wisdom. Remember, we could, we could look all the way back, say, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and the Shema of Israel that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So God tells us and tells us in the Old Testament, we're to love him with everything that we are, to love him with our heart. But where is it that we obtain this heart? How do we obtain the capacity to love God? Well, we certainly don't obtain it from ourselves. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Moses told the people, circumcise your hearts. Don't be so hard-hearted. Don't be so stiff-necked and stubborn. Change your hearts. And yet God knew that his people could not change their own hearts. We cannot change our hearts any more than the leopard can change its spots. And so what did God promise through Moses to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6? He says, the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. So what Solomon is doing here is he he pulls this truth from this Egyptian sage, but he transplants it into the fertile soil of the gospel by saying, fear the Lord, and this is how you will have a heart that is set upon the way, that is planted in the truth of Christ, that has the holiness of Christ as its goal. And this is ultimately only something that can come by the grace of God in Christ. What what did Ezekiel the prophet say in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, when he told his people, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone and uh, give you a heart of flesh. How does God do this? According to Paul in Romans 5, 5, he says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What Solomon is saying is draw near unto God in Christ and he will change your heart. He will ensure that your heart stays in the path, on the way, so that it's not merely a civic righteousness, a morality that you will find, but rather you will find the righteousness and the holiness that comes through the gospel of Christ. What does Paul write in Romans six seventeen? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And so what this means, beloved, is that through Christ's mediation, 
Through Christ's work, we can cry out to our Heavenly Father for His grace in Christ through the Spirit. Paul writes in Galatians 4, 6, Because you are sons, he's speaking to all of us, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so this is what Solomon is ultimately telling us. He's saying, cry out to your Heavenly Father. Cry out to Him for wisdom. Cry out to Him that He would shape and mold your heart so that it is conformed unto the image of Christ, so that it, it possesses the righteousness, the holiness, and the godliness that only comes through the gospel of Christ. But note here, Solomon, I do not think, is saying, strive to be godly in order to be saved. He's not saying that. He's not saying, be godly so that you are saved. But rather, he is instead saying, draw from the power of salvation that comes in Christ in in order to be godly. In other words, seek greater godliness in the power of salvation. Seek godliness because you can through Christ, because you are saved. Work from your salvation, not to it or for it. There's such a big difference between that. In this vein, so often I think the book of James is perhaps one of the closest New Testament counterparts to the book of Proverbs, and that they are, in a sense, mirror images of one another. And James says this in James 4.8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's by drawing near to God in Christ that he purifies our hearts, that he changes our desires, that he conforms our will unto his will, that he makes us more like him. And so this is why Solomon is saying, for the, the, the youth of a nation, which in his context would have been Israel, they needed to draw near unto God in Christ so that they would have upright hearts and desire wise and godly things. And what he is saying to us as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, is that if we desire a godly church, then we as the people of God need to draw near unto God and to Christ. And in so doing, he purifies our hearts and makes us more like Christ. But how is it, secondly, and we can say finally, secondly and finally, that we can align our hearts with the heart of Christ. Well, I think one of the most important things that an athlete can do, if we think about, say, an athlete and how an athlete goes about his or her life, is that we could say that there are three components uh, to an athlete's way of life to ensure that the athlete is successful on the field of play. The first is you have to, you have to exercise, You know, you have to get into the gym, you have to get into the pool, you you have to get out of the basketball court. You have to strengthen your body in order to perform the tasks that are required for your particular sport, okay? Uh, The second thing that you have to do uh, is you need uh, plenty of rest. You need plenty of rest. 
I was once watching an interview with a champion athlete, and the, and the champion athlete's coach told him, he said years before, he said, if you think you're more successful than anybody else, take a look around you in the gym here. Everybody is as skilled and as talented as you are. That's not going to make the difference in your performance. What will make the difference in your performance is if you get eight or more hours of sleep each night so that when you get out into the field of play, you'll have more energy and you'll be able to outperform the other athletes that didn't get as much rest as you did. So getting out there and practicing, exercising, getting plenty of rest. But third and most important, perhaps, or one of the most important legs in this three-legged stool is what do you eat? Making sure that you're getting the right fuel for your body. When Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps, who's won 23 gold medals, so that ought to tell us that he's pretty successful at this, when he was training for competition, don't get jealous, okay, in all of this, because I'm extremely jealous of this, he would eat 12,000 calories a day. The average person eats about 3,000 calories a day. So I looked into this to find out what was it that he was eating in order to fuel his success for breakfast. Three egg sandwiches, three pancakes, a five-egg omelet, three pieces of French toast, a bowl of grits, and a cup of coffee. That's just for breakfast. That's enough for all of us, perhaps, for a whole day of food, even more so. But that's just breakfast. For lunch, a pound of pasta, two ham and cheese sandwiches, and energy drinks. And then for dinner, a pound of pasta, a large pizza, and then energy drinks. Now, he's young, but he needed all of those carbohydrates, as it's a carbohydrate-heavy meal, a set of meals. He needed all of those carbohydrates because he was constantly training. He was in the pool for six hours a day. So he needed a lot of energy in his system, 12,000 calories to give him the necessary energy that he needed in order to exercise to be this successful athlete. Okay, so what kind of a diet, what kind of a diet does Solomon recommend uh, for the church as he gives us wisdom as to how we can be obedient sons? Notice in verses 26 through 28, he says, let me steer you away from things that you should not consume in your diet. And so he says, steer clear of the adulterous woman. Solomon describes the prostitute, I think, here to capture her allure, her attraction, her apparent beauty. We could say that the analogy is somewhat removed, but if we go back to uh, eating proper diet, think of the attractive packaging of junk food. Think of a a package of potato chips, or think of the packaging uh, on a... uh, on a a cupcake, for example. I used to, as a child, look into the candy machine and I would see the Hostess cupcakes with that chocolatey frosting on there, with the white decorations on there. And if you had put that and then next to it a carrot in the machine, I promise you that carrot would be rotten. Uh, it would never get eaten, and those cupcakes would you know, just come out of the machine because kids would see that. They, they see the attractive packaging. It's visually appealing. 
And so what Solomon is doing, he's saying, look at the adulteress, look at the prostitute. There is attractive packaging there, but it's all empty and far less than empty. It is a path that leads to death. We can say the same thing about junk food. I found this out. Fiery hot Cheetos. I don't know if that's uh, anything that any of you consume. Fiery hot Cheetos contain MSG and uh, uh, capsaicin. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But it's chemicals that release dopamine in the brain. So that when you consume this food, it's, it's got a chemical reaction to it. And it's got chemicals in it that that trigger the pleasure sensors in your brain so that it's not just about satisfying your hunger, it's about getting dopamine released in your brain. It's pleasurable, but ultimately you're consuming empty calories, but it's also addictive. The chemicals make you want to eat more so that it reduces, it releases more dopamine. And so this food is neither filling nor really healthy. You can say this about the adulterous woman, the prostitute. She looks appealing, but it's empty. And not only empty, but she leads to death. Solomon does the same thing, for example, here with wine, where he pulls back the veil of its appeal to reveal that it's ultimately poison. Notice how he describes this wine in verses 29 and following. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who is complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smoothly. He's saying, if you have troubles and you can't figure it out, ask yourself, are you consuming too much wine? Look at it, how smooth it is. Look at it, how nice it smells. Look at it, how, how, how nice it tastes. How pleasurable it is to consume it. And then he says, okay, let me pull back the veil. Let me show you, in a sense, to go back to our dieting analogy, what kind of empty calories are here. In the end, verse 32, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. He's basically describing the drunken state. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. He's saying, if you want to be godly, if you want to be wise, you can't consume these types of spiritual foods. These things are destructive. These things lead to death. These things lead to sloth. These things lead to addiction. Now, what he's saying here, though, keep in mind, is he's not saying never touch wine. He's saying here, notice he says in verse 30, it's those who tarry long over wine. So it's about the abuse of wine, not simply It's moderate use. So he's saying, don't abuse God's good gifts. Because to do so turns the gift into poison. And so in this vein, (coughs) I can't help but think that the Apostle Paul 
has maybe Solomon's wisdom in mind here that he's called from a menomope saying in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, seek the wisdom and the knowledge and the truth of Christ as much or more than you would uh, wine. Become, in a sense, be drunk on truth rather than upon wine. So Solomon says, steer away from these things in your spiritual diet in order to develop habits that lead to godliness and that lead you to be able to be called a godly and obedient son. And instead, notice what, on the other hand, where he turns our uh, attention to what he says that we are supposed to feed ourselves upon, steering clear of the prostitute, steering clear of wine. He says here in verse 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Verse 19, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. We have to seek God's wisdom in Christ through the various means that he supplies it, chiefly through the word of God. You know, to put it in the simplest of terms, how well do we know our Bibles? When it comes to the sacraments, are we, in a sense, to put it metaphorically, are we first in line? Are we there eagerly looking forward to to consuming the sacrament? We've all heard the saying, you are what you eat. Well, I think this certainly applies to the wisdom of Christ. How can we grow in the wisdom of Christ unless we regularly feed upon God's word? Unless we meditate upon it? Unless we pray for it and pray the word of God? You know, every once in a blue moon, and it is very uh, once in a blue moon, uh, my family, in fact, I don't even, maybe it's just once that we've been, you know, twice. I wasn't there for one of them, so I missed out. But my, my family went to, if you've ever been to one of these places, a Brazilian steakhouse. Uh, it's, uh, you know, for like, I forget what the price is, for 30 40 whatever dollars. It's all-you-can-eat meat. All-you-can-eat meat. Uh, and other various dishes and what have you. Uh, so to get ready for that, um, we, would, we told the kids, we're only going to eat once on Saturday, just one time. <laughs> we're saving all of our calories for that one meal because it's not cheap. So no breakfast, so get, get, get used to that. And no dinner, it's just going to be a big lunch. And you can, you know, eat up. And... Um, I found that I don't, I don't like all-you-can-eat places because I feel like they always charge too much and I'm not going to eat as much as, you know, as, that, that's worth the money that, they, that I spend. But my kids, they were excited about this prospect. Uh, you know, the idea of people walking around with spits of meat saying, would you like more? And you, uh, Yeah, sure. You know, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. My, uh, my at the time, seven-year-old son, no exaggeration, he ate more than a Navy SEAL that was with us that day, okay? Uh, he ate more than the Navy SEAL. I was shocked. Um, but all they could do is talk about that meal. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. I love steak. Uh, I-, I love pork. I love chicken. I love all of this stuff. And all they could do is think about it all day long until we finally got there and then... And then we ate. 
They were meditating upon that meal. So let me ask us this. Do we read the word of God? That's an important, necessary function of of seeking godliness. How much do we meditate upon it? How, long do we, how much do we meditate upon it? What does the psalmist say about the man of God in Psalm 1? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How many things in our lives do we think about all the time? Can't wait to go on that vacation. Uh, I can't wait to get out onto the beach. I can't wait to go and eat that meal. I can't wait for that special day, that special event of whatever it may be. How often do we meditate upon the word of God? I can't wait to think about what Christ will do at his return. I can't wait and I meditate upon what it, what it means to be uh, glorified and to have every single last vestige of sin just removed from my body and from my existence. I can't wait to gather with the saints before the throne of God and to meditate upon these truths and to look forward to them. The imagery is perhaps imprecise, but nevertheless powerful. So often it's the case, since we're talking about diet and we're talking about those things, consuming those things are conducive to godliness, is that we're either spiritual bulimics or spiritual anorexics. The spiritual bulimic consumes and then purges and forgets. The anorexic simply stays away from food. How many of us stay away from the word of God? Because we're afraid of what it may ask us to do. We're afraid of what the Lord may call us to give up. So we steer clear of it. Or on the other hand, we're like spiritual bulimics in that we, 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 we'll consume the word. And then as soon as we consume it, we do everything that we can to forget it. And we move on. Instead of meditating upon God's word. And and giving thought and prayer over the very words that we read so that we can ponder it, so that we can savor it, so that we can pray it. Like the man of God of Psalm 1, do we meditate upon God's law day and night? But at the same time, notice what else Solomon holds forth here in chapter 23, verse 26. My son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. At first glance, it may seem that Solomon is usurping Uh, the place of God, because it's God is the one to whom we're supposed to give our hearts. But I think what Solomon is saying here is what Paul elsewhere says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, I think that one of the ways, one of the ways that we can uh, have better spiritual diets is if we're able to observe others eating in a healthy manner, to put it that way. You know, uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll save you the long story, but just give you the, the, the key point. It's like when my brother and I went to visit my grandparents one summer, uh, they, uh, they ate a lot more than we did. And uh, when my brother especially got off the airplane, that's, uh, after that month-long stay with the grandparents, my parents didn't recognize him. <laughs> He had, you know, he had picked up a, a, a lot of weight because uh, he had, you know, it was like, you know, here's soup, here's hot dogs, and here's pizza uh, all in the same meal. I kid you not. And uh, now here it's time for dessert. 
And Orange is like, oh, I can't eat any. Yeah, it's fine. And then a friend came by and said, oh, I brought some donuts for the boys. All right, boys, get in here and eat these donuts. We don't want them to go to waste. I'm full. No, you have to eat all six. You're, you're half and you're half. So six for you, six for you. I was like, oh, I can't do this. I refused. I was like, no. You have to be with people who have good eating habits. If you're not with people that don't have good eating habits, you're not going to be able to see godliness modeled in a way that you are able to understand it and enable to follow it. If you're with people who consume spiritual junk food, then that will affect the way that you are. And what Solomon is saying here is he's saying, Look to me, son. Give me your heart. Take from me the wisdom that God has given me so that I can give it to you. Observe what I do and follow me. Now, of course, we all know where that went with Solomon. But it does not go that way with Christ, which is why Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, we should all seek Christ But as we seek Christ, we manifest the wisdom of Christ to those around us, especially to the young, the members of the church, to our grandchildren, to our children, so that they too would see the wisdom, so that they too would see the the spiritual nourishment that we are gaining from the word of God and indeed ideally living out on a day-to-day basis. John Owen, 17th century Puritan, says, Christ is the meat, the bread, and the food of our souls. Nothing is in him of a higher spiritual nourishment than his love, which we should always desire. Christ is the one that we seek to consume, metaphorically speaking. So, beloved, Solomon takes this wisdom of this Egyptian sage, and we can say that he plays it in a higher key. He plays it in the key of heaven and the gospel of salvation. And he points us to the person and work of Christ. As vital as morality is for culture, for church, or for community, as Christians, we don't merely seek morality. We seek nothing less than conformity to Christ. And the only way that we will find conformity to Christ is through the grace of the gospel. The only way that we can grow in our conformity to Christ is if we seek it with all of our hearts. I close with Solomon's words from Proverbs But then also the prophet Isaiah's words that say something very similar. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. But how can we buy if we have no money? We buy through the grace of God that comes to us in Christ. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 55.1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Indeed, by the grace of God in Christ, we can come and buy the wisdom of God in Christ so that we, too, would be obedient, wise, and godly sons. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful that you have given unto us the wisdom, your wisdom in Christ, that you have saved us from our sins, 
that uh, you have opened our hearts, you have taken away our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh. We pray that you would give us a desire to draw even closer unto you, and in so doing that you would conform us to your image. O Lord, for it is not merely civic righteousness that we desire, but we desire nothing less than a complete and full conformity unto Christ. Manifest his wisdom in our lives, O Lord. May it be, O Lord, said of us that we could say to those around us, follow us as we follow Christ. Give us the desire, O Lord, to associate with those who point us to Christ, who have a healthy uh, spiritual diet that is filled with the gospel truth through word and sacrament. Take away our desires for sinful things, O Lord. Oh, Lord, it may be that we don't struggle with great sins such as uh, fornication, as Solomon has warned us, or with drunkenness. But, oh, Lord, there are so many other things that can compete for the desires of our hearts. Take them away, O Lord, so that nothing but Christ would sit upon the throne of our hearts, that we would desire nothing but him, and that our entire existence would be aimed at showing him love not only through the things that we think, but also through the things that we say and do. And that in this way, O Lord, you would make us a godly people, a godly nation, a godly church, a brilliant, shining beacon of truth in the midst of this sin-darkened world. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.